Welcome to this week's Chris and Eric's Long Box Adventure. I am Eric. And I'm Chris. Welcome. This week, the comic of discussion is one of your picks. So I'll let you go ahead and sort of introduce us and uh, let us know why you picked what you did. Okay. Well, um, in honor of the late, great George Perez, we're going to be covering the first um, six issues of his run on Wonder Woman from the 1980s. Um, this was right after Crisis on Infinite Earths, so this essentially comprises the new version of Wonder Woman's origin after, like, that in the new version of the DC Universe. And you had read these before, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I read them around the time that the first Wonder Woman movie came out, uh, because I thought the movie was pretty good, and I wanted to read some of the actual, like, comics, because... Wonder Woman's weird in that she, I think, is the most variable, like, big comic book character. Like, it's really hard to nail down an interpretation of Wonder Woman because everyone does it differently. Um, I think the only thing that's sort of consistent between all of them is Greek gods and Island of Ladies. And that's about it. Yeah, I had never read these before. I've read almost no Wonder Woman. This is like a solid half of all the Wonder Woman comics I've ever read. But George Perez's run is pretty much the only one I ever hear uh, name drop specifically in terms of Wonder Woman comics. Uh, Spoiler alert to our impressions of it. I see why his is the one that people care about. I guess before we go fully diving into our impressions of the story and everything i'll go ahead and do just the quick crediting roll call it's a big one yeah so the first two issues list uh greg potter and george perez as co-plotters with perez on pencils and potter on script potter then immediately leaves after issue two at which point perez is listed as both plotter and penciler for the rest of the series with Lynn Wayne coming on, starting at issue three as scripter. And across the entire six issues, we have Bruce Patterson on inks, John Costanza on letters, Tatjana Wood on colors, and editor Karen Berger. And uh, like you mentioned, this basically is reestablishing Wonder Woman's origin for a post-crisis context. The first issue is pretty much entirely origin material not just of diana and honestly not even primarily of diana but of establishing uh Femiscara, then paradise island and just everything with the amazons and like i said before i haven't consumed a lot of wonder woman comics but i've at least seen like her and justice league and other media and i think this is my favorite iteration of the amazons i've ever seen um i'd say I mean, considering the version right now is essentially a return to this version, this is my favorite. Um, I really like what they're doing right now with them, um, especially in uh, Nubia by Vida Ayala and Stephanie Williams. But, like, that's built on, I would say, this take on them. So, yeah, we should just dive in, yeah? Yeah. Essentially, from a plot perspective, issue one 
both begins and then we'll continue to go back to and the run will just go back to just a lot of dreadful depictions i'm and when i say dreadful i don't mean poorly done i just mean the events are dreadful in and of themselves but just this run and take on diana and the amazons is specifically built upon violence against women so we get just a lot of gruesome scenes the first issue literally begins with a caveman committing violence against a cave woman thousands of years in the past before we move on to uh the greek god pantheon who are essentially having a debate about the potential creation of a new race on the earth and essentially how best to sort of shepherd mankind to follow the gods properly and a lot of the gods are in favor of creating the amazons which does obviously ultimately happen the main naysayer is Ares, god of war who looks really fucking cool like he's horrendous and he's evil and his entire character is that he's a piece of shit but this armor is very cool and intricate uh, I do wish he had his uh, classic mustache from the movie, but um, yeah, no, no, uh, this is a really cool design. It's basically just like this, well, I mean, with the old coloring, it's like a dark blue highlight, but like it's it's probably intended to be just this sleek black Darth Vader-esque Greek armor. He's got like the Greek skirt and stuff, and then his, um, instead of a face, it's all black. And you can just see his eyes, which of course are red eyes, peering out through like the lenses of the helmet. It's very grand. He's got a big cloak. He's got um one of those mohawk things. I don't know what they called. I don't know Greek armor names. I was gonna be wondering if you knew because I also wanted to mention it, but do not know what it's called. Bring bring back Ares's mohawk. That's what I say. Yeah, like. Like you mentioned, the all-black, like his face is entirely in shadow, so you just have the dramatic popping eyes. And I just always love a design that incorporates both, like, flowy fabric, all of the cape, and then, like, a harder element, all of the metal. And it's not just plain metal, like, there are indentations and designs all over this armor. It just looks really fucking cool. But essentially, Ares is just, like, the only way to get man to respect the gods is to dominate them and men only recognize violence yada 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 so from the very beginning between the depictions of violence against women and then Ares's arguments with the rest of the pantheon we're really immediately centering violence as a theme and a quandary of thought in this series the way that the amazons come to be is that a lot of the Greek gods essentially take the souls of women who have already died in the ancient world, largely by violence at the hands of men. Yeah, it's all women who have died. Uh, lies cut short by men's fear and ignorance. So this is all women who have been, like, violently murdered by men, pretty much. Yeah, and essentially they, I don't know whatever technical term would be used on the wiki, but basically they resurrect the souls. A giant cloud forms over Greece and these raindrops fall into the ocean from which rise these resurrected women who will be known as the Amazons. And is it 
Hippolyta, Hippolyta. Uh, Hippolyta is um yeah Hippolyta and then Antiope, okay. are the two leaders. Yeah, Hippolyta is of course uh, Diana's mother. Um, so through this sequence, uh, Perez is pulling on a lot of like very classical Greek imagery in this run. The Amazons uh, come out of essentially sea foam, the same way that Aphrodite does in the mythology, and the group of gods who create the Amazons who are later the same group of gods who empower uh, Hippolyta are um, Demeter, uh, Aphrodite, Hestia, Athena, and I think, yeah, Artemis, and Hermes helps, does Hermes help? Hermes gets them to the Well of Souls, but then leaves. Uh, But Hermes is involved in helping empower Wonder Woman later. Yeah, it's largely, like, I'm not a Greek god expert, so... Maybe I'm missing one, but it essentially looks like all of the main female figureheads of that mythology, except for Hera, pretty yeah. much. Because um, Hera's too loyal to Zeus, which is an aspect that I love. So one of the problems I have with a lot of Wonder Woman stuff right now is because um, the New 52 did this and the movie did this, where she's like a blood relative of Zeus, which is weird because Wonder Woman is... The only major female superhero I can think of off the top of my head who isn't some dude woman. Like, Batgirl, Captain Marvel. Well, there was a guy Captain Marvel first. I guess Black Widow? Even the ones that I think of where I'm like, it's not in the name. I'm like, well, they started in a man's book. Because, like, I was searching in my head and I was like, Elektra? But started as a male character's, you know, yeah. love, interest, love interest, which Black Widow also falls under. That's true, yeah. 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 The next most high-profile female character I can think of that didn't start out as a male love interest or something is Witchblade, which actually is not a great alternative if you've ever seen a Witchblade cover. Uh, yeah, I certainly outside of the modern age or... Um... Maybe the Bronze Age. I'm sure there was some Manhunter. Manhunter isn't a side book for anyone, is it? I don't think so. But also, I think it just proves the point that we find ourselves thinking of Manhunter as how far down the list we have to go. (laughs) Because I know for a fact not a single one of our four listeners knows who Manhunter is. So, yeah, I don't have that many strong Wonder Woman opinions. Aside from she shouldn't get her powers from a dude. I just feel like that's basic. I don't care if you want to change the thing where she sculpted from clay, which this does do, which is great. But having her have her powers coming from a patrilineal line instead of matrimonial line, whichever one it is, that's a mistake. Yeah. You mentioned the Greek imagery. I think you're probably going to recognize a lot more of it than I am, so... Please feel free to point it out in any issues as we make our way through, because I'm sure I missed references. Although, it is clear that Perez is putting a lot of thought into what he's doing, and that is very cool. After the creation of the Amazons, we meet Heracles, who is yet another horrendous, raging misogynist. Yeah, um, so this is... Heracles is Hercules. Heracles is what he was known in the Greek, and there is a long period of time in like his story where he was driven insane by Hera because she didn't like that he was Zeus's illegitimate son and this 
part of the story is set during that period um, that Perez has done. I, if I remember correctly, Hercules... I'm just going to call him Hercules because that's what everyone recognizes the guy as. And the story is the same in either the Greek or the Roman. Um, he shows up later in the Perez run and he's like sane and regretful of what he does here. But this is pretty, pretty fucking extreme. Yeah, it is. Essentially, Heracles is going to be the central figure behind the next big instance of mass violence against women in this book where essentially the amazons who as we already have established are reincarnated versions of women who already died in past lives at the hands of men heracles and his army are going to essentially come to challenge the amazons to battle hippolyta essentially defeats heracles but spares his life she and the Amazons are very of a find a better way, end fighting, don't fight when you don't have to, even though we're warriors, sort of perspective, which leads to like inviting Heracles and his army in to Themyscira. At which point, this isn't shown on panel, but it is very explicitly referenced to, and it's obvious content-wise what happens, although... Perez does not actually depict it on panel, fortunately. But essentially what happens is that the Amazons are raped and beaten in mass by Heracles' army and just violated in essentially every way that they possibly could be before being literally imprisoned. Hippolyta uh, manages to escape and she rallies the Amazons to, like, break their chains and um, fight and destroy the army. So at this point, Hippolyta and her sister Antiope are leading the Amazons. Antiope enjoys killing the men too much. Like, this, this incident has essentially broken her, and now she's, like, lost to revenge is the sort of storyline idea here. So while... Um, Hippolyta wants to... At this point, they don't have Themyscira, but essentially Hippolyta is following the gods still and wants to go where they're sending her, which is what turns out to be Themyscira, whereas Antiope takes the group of Amazons who follow her example, and they go off um, to show up again later in the run. They're not really relevant for the rest of this story. Yeah. Again, we get just um, the theme of violence and of when is it appropriate and just there's a lot of tension baked in here on a conceptual level from the very beginning of you know like what is proper behavior and what is the higher road and it's the sort of thing where it's like that's noble and all i also am fully team antiope and that i hope she killed as many men as she felt like after that i am sure that she did not get to slay enough of them because anyone in that army is free game yeah that uh just like we said the events are horrendous but essentially the amazons are split into two groups following you know each respectively the one of the sisters and uh, Hippolyta leads the Amazons who have remained with her across the ocean because the gods, and specifically Poseidon, 
have parted the sea to enable them to walk across the ocean to make their way to their new home. They build Paradise Island, essentially. Um, And then it's mentioned that part of the reason they're there is to guard, like, an evil that is contained under the island. Um, That's not really... Again, that's something that's set up for later. Like, clearly a lot of this run was... Like, this mythology was sat down and really planned out because... All of this is stuff that's clearly designed to come back later. I really appreciate the work that's been put in and making sure that, like, everything's there. You know, you've got, like, the second group of Amazons who've gone off in a different direction. You've got the secret beneath the island and all that all set up now. It was very well planned and very well thought out. Yeah, and both here with Paradise Island and with whenever... Perez is like illustrating Mount Olympus just anytime that Perez gets to draw architecture it looks very nice and elaborate and detailed um I love the way he draws Mount Olympus every um like the gods will all be standing on like buildings that are built in different directions like have you seen Labyrinth no okay there's a scene in Labyrinth where there's a room of like staircases and the staircases all go in different directions and david bowie walks like while singing because it's david bowie walks on the staircases and like he'll be upside down in the camera but there'll be characters who are the right side up because on a different staircase it's like oriented differently it's like that like it's this really like it it just immediately sells because like femisera looks like a normal greek place and then olympus looks like a greek place but like trippier and it really sells like the the fact that it's gods and the fantasy world aspects of it the thing is like perez plotted this and perez did all of these designs and perez was just like i'm gonna make so much fucking work for myself yeah like even panels of just a single character's face head-on will look like they took forever to draw because there will be so many curls in the hair There will be so many little lines in a headband. This looks like a comic that I would imagine someone spending six months drawing each issue of. So here's my question. Was he also doing Teen Titans still at this point? He was, right? I'm not very good at, like, mental timelining DC stuff. I'm not as good at remembering that. Because I know Teen Titans started much earlier in the 80s but i'm not sure how long he had still stayed on yeah i need to look this up now i need to look up when when perez left teen titans because uh this is 86 i feel like he must have left by then otherwise i don't know how it would be humanly possible to do both at once okay okay yeah he had left at this point that makes sense yeah back to the uh, plot at hand After Paradise Island has been established for a while, Hippolyta begins to wonder why she's having these strange feelings that she doesn't recognize. And it's revealed that of all of the reincarnated women, all the Amazons, she is the only one who had been pregnant when she died. And essentially she's yearning for a child. And Artemis instructs her, Go at sunrise to the shore and kneel there. Then from the clay of paradise, form you an image. Your heart shall race with anticipation, but steady yourself and shape the image with care. 
Then open yourself to fair Artemis, that the midwife of all Olympus may enter you. And with her guidance, let your spirit cry out unto the womb of Gaia. And at the time that we're getting these narration bubbles, we're also getting these panels of Hippolyta on the beach, gorgeous skies, looking down into the sands, just these really dramatic panels of just like a sand clay rendering of a child that she has created, which then after the gods do more dramatic dialogue and all of the like, I will give her the gift of, and it's just like every god sending her their powers down to what will be Diana. Uh, specifically the group of uh, female gods who created the Amazons in the first place, with Hermes, Hermes thrown in to give her uh, speed and flight, which, like, it's fine, it's fine. Ev everything else is on point. I will forgive Hermes being involved this once. Hermes really is the nice guy TM in this entire series. Like, he is the male ally. Um, I think he's, like, one of the few Greek gods who I would generally categorize as, like, not being a jackass, including most of the women here are also jackasses in the original mythology. Yeah. But these jackasses send their powers down to the sand baby. We get the dramatic beam of light... And then next we have uh, Hippolyta smiling as she's holding up Diana, now a flesh and blood baby. We are 25 pages into Wonder Woman number one, and Wonder Woman has just been birthed. The origin, which this is, I, if I remember correctly, the original like Golden Age Wonder Woman origin is also the same thing, where it's the gods give life to a little clay baby. That is how men were created in Greek mythology. So all the people who criticize this, saying it's silly, well, any Greek god in Wonder Woman implies that men exist because they were made of clay in the first place. So fucking get over it. It's not silly, it's magic. See now, this is what I meant earlier of you know mythology better than I do. I did not know that that was a whole mythological thing. So thank you, because yeah. I did not know. Yeah, Diana is now alive. We get a very quick little summation of just how all of the Amazons help to look after her as she's growing. They're all teaching her and helping her learn as best as they can to essentially just make her perfect and incredibly skilled at literally everything. But shortly thereafter, the threat of Ares rises again, and... It's essentially decided that the Amazons are going to have to send a champion to contend with the threat that Ares is going to possess, or that Ares is going to pose, rather, to not just the Amazons, but to the rest of the god pantheon and the world at large. And so they essentially elect to hold giant Amazonian Hunger Games. Not actual Hunger Games, but basically, I guess like, I was about to say competitive Olympics, as if Olympics aren't competitive. It's basically a tournament. It's like a giant... Violent Olympics. Yes. It's like... Because there are events that aren't fighting where it's like competitive archery. But then the later events seem to just be physical fights. Just a lot of showing who's the baddest one around. And they all are wearing this very specific armor the entire time. 
which hides the upper half of their faces. Essentially, if the reasoning being so that these Amazons who have known each other for thousands of years will be able to fight each other without worrying about if they're facing a friend and like involuntarily not going all out against a loved one. So they're essentially all anonymous by their armor. And the time comes, one woman has reigned the victor. Hippolyta asks them to remove their helmets. And it turns out it is Diana, which pisses Hippolyta off because she had forbade Diana from taking part in the first place. But naturally, Wonder Woman is in fact the baddest bitch around and the baddest bitch on Paradise Island. And she has earned the right and she is going to be the one to fight Ares and to try and save the world. And and then we get a Glock. Do you want to explain the gun stuff? <laughs> so, um... Wonder Woman is obviously famous for deflecting bullets with her bracelets, which, by the way, we didn't... Uh, all the Amazons in this, they wear bracelets to remind themselves of what Hercules did, um, because they were all chained up after that. Uh, so every single Amazon has the bracelets on. But Wonder Woman's gotten some special silver ones. And so it's established that, like, something happened that we didn't see, but presumably not that long ago, and a gun wound up on Paradise Island, and to fi- the final test to prove herself a champion is for Diana to deflect some bullets. And the way this is drawn is really great, because first we have just this amazing panel of, um, I'm gonna butcher this, Menelope? <laughs> I, I don't know how to pronounce some of the names of the Amazons, unfortunately. Holding out the, the Glock towards the camera, just like this really dramatic shot it's great. And then when Diana's deflecting the bullets, she's clearly just terrified <laughs> and is, like, barely making it. Some Just, like, some really good, fun, expressive stuff, which, like, a lot of this so far had been very, like, epic shots or detailed shots or people looking distressed or, like, grand. But, um, like, this moment here, especially with Diana, there's, like, some nice, good character and expressiveness to the art, too. It's not just, like, how freaking gorgeous and detailed it is it's it's just really well done yeah so she gets some special armor and by special armor we mean the wonder woman swimsuit outfit that's there you go and that's the end of the first issue we are now recording wise a half hour in of an hour long episode and we're at the end of the first issue (laughs) yeah which the rest will be i think quicker to sum up i think this is dense Yeah, like, the first is really establishing the entire foundation of the world building, not only on a narrative level, but just also all of the thematic concerns that are going to play out. And I really like it. Um, I think the rest of the arc, not that it's bad, because there are still things we'll talk about that I appreciate, but the thing is that I comparatively lose interest across the rest of it, And I think one of the core things of Wonder Woman that doesn't appeal to me is the essential concept of her going to man's world and of the, like, Greek world meeting modernity thing. But the thing is, that compared to how cool all the god stuff that's set up here is, I don't give a fuck about the modern world. (laughs) And so Diana going out to the rest of the Earth, I'm like, I would rather see more cool god shit. (laughs) You know, and so when she's fighting Ares specifically and stuff like that 
I'm more interested than we'll get to just like the humans that Diana meets. But essentially from this point, as Diana goes out to man's world, in terms of antagonists, we're going to be introduced to Ares' children, who I don't think are as cool as he is. So that's part of what's F for me too. And then in terms of supporting cast for Wonder Woman, for Wonder Woman, I think the chief player here is that we get introduced to, um, I'm blinking on this man's name. Steve Trevor. Yes, Steve Trevor. Um, Chris Pine in the movie. Yes, we are getting introduced to Star-Lord. And, wait, no, that's the wrong one. <laughs> wrong to, Chris, Chris, Chris Pine is, is just, well, actually, he did voice Spider-Man in Into the Spider-Verse, the, um, the 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 one who dies what's the is it kirk yes yeah he's okay. kirk in star trek new 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 star trek reboot trek the star trek man i think there's another new kirk now in the tv shows but yeah yeah um essentially this character's deal is that he's like this famous decorated air force man but he's always been at odds with a bunch of higher ups because of his I guess just abnormally high moral code. He generally dislikes killing people who don't need to die. Yeah, he's just he'll, not joyous about being a murderous psychopath. He'll he'll kill someone in life or death combat and in no other situation. Yeah, and like doesn't go in specifically for wanting to kill people. What do you think of this character, I suppose? Um, so unlike, I think, any other version of Wonder Woman, he's not actually a love interest for her, and he's, like, an older, more, like, past-his-prime thing. I think the idea with this version of the character is he's tying back to an older idea of, like, the U.S. military or, like, military, um, honor and morality compared to what would have been contemporary at this time, the Cold War, which, like... The U.S. military has always been full of bullshit, but I will freely admit that when they're fighting Nazis, they look pretty squeaky clean by comparison. So yeah, by this, this point, is, this is literal Reagan era America. Yeah, at this point, I could understand wanting to make him much more of an outcast with the U.S. military, which I think was a good choice. I like him fine. I like him. I think I like him more than I like any other Steve Trevor. But Steve Trevor's never been a favorite of mine. So yeah, it's. I don't dislike him so much as I just kind of don't care. Ed is always better. If you're going to have a Wonder Woman supporting character, have Edda Candy. Is... Ed is in this. She's his aide in this version. I didn't know she was like a long-going thing. Yeah. She's... For for a lot of it, the early stuff, she's just like the boisterous fat lady who hangs out with Wonder Woman. But like, she tends to be a lot more fun, at least. I like it when she's written well. When she's not written well, obviously, but, like, the general assumption is you're writing characters well by how much I like them. I don't care about the times they're written poorly. The Morrison Ed is actually really fun. I think that's the best success of their take on Wonder Woman. She's, like, a sorority girl who, um, dresses up Wonder Woman in the Wonder Woman outfit because it's cool fashion. I know I've read the start of that, but it's been so long I effectively don't remember anything. It's kind of messy and weird, but it's, like, interesting. So, Morrison. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not as good as most of Morrison's work, but it's it's interesting. Okay. Essentially, I'll try and be quicker about 
the bare facts than we were if issue one. But essentially the setup going forward is that Steve Trevor, is that the name? Yep. Okay. I I keep feeling like I'm going to get half the name wrong. Steve Trevor, Man Man, um, is essentially being set up by his higher-ups in the military and by Ares, who is demonically influencing them. And long story short, the pilot or co-pilot who's been sent on a mission with Trevor is Ares-possessed. Their jet ends up crashing, and it's right by Paradise Island. The Amazons essentially go to help him and, like, uh, heal his wounds— but they're also very suspicious because they just saw the fighter plane and its artillery and what a weapon of death it was, essentially. Ares was trying to get them to nuke Paradise Island, and Trevor is, like, able to basically kind of stop the nuke from launching, and then Wonder Woman stops it the rest of the way. Yeah, it does the, like, it shoots out, but then Wonder Woman is able to throw it up into the sky, so... The Amazons just see this gigantic explosion in the air that almost destroyed their island. So, uh, with Trevor saved, um, and he's unconscious, he, like, gets a glimpse of Wonder Woman, that's about it. Wonder Woman then gets sent by the gods and by Hermes magically over to Man's World. Explicitly, so they've, she's gotten, like, half of her amulet from a, a spooky lady in a cave that Hermes took her to earlier, and... She needs the other half of the amulet, and then she'll be able to defeat Ares. And so she's sent off into Man's World, taking Trevor with her. Meanwhile, uh, Ares' kids, Deimos and Phobos, look on. These guys are nowhere near as cool as their dad. Um, I think Deimos is the most interesting, because he's got a snake beard. Like, it's weird, because it's, it's referred to as snake stuff, but it looks... It's it's not actually, like, snakes. He's got some serpents that come out of him in other places. But, like, his beard can, like, get longer and shorter and he can manipulate it. And, like, the hair is rounded at the edges. Like, it's it's not hairs. It's fleshy stuff, presumably. He looks weird and gross, I dig it. Yeah, like, I wish it went further with the snake theme. Like, later on, he'll be, like, attacking her of legions of snakes. And just, like, I wish that... There was, like, more variety in snake types or did his design. I suppose just I wish it went a bit more beyond the sort of Greek god, very standard sort of appearance that a lot of the armor in this series has, where it's all, like, of a very similar visual style. Like, I think that that aesthetic isn't necessarily the most snake-like, so I wish that it varied a little bit more from that. He's definitely more interested than his brother, because his brother is just... A troll. Yeah. He just looks like a troll. Um, Phobos should be the most interesting, because he's the god of fear. You know, Phobos, phobia. That's where we get that from. Um, But uh, he isn't in this, which is a shame, because I think he should be one of the, the major antagonists of Wonder Woman overall, but he's just a minor player to his dad in this, and also isn't that interestingly written or that interesting of a design so there's just not enough there to play with i think but uh moving on into issue three wonder woman arrives in man's world and um you know it's weird she was carrying steve trevor and now i realize that she just sort of isn't and then he's in a hospital later 
she dropped him off in a hospital off panel but before she actually had the panels where she is seeing the city that the hospital is in for the first time weird continuity error but whatever um so hermes shows her around but then has to leave because the gods can't directly interfere um even though Ares is that's the whole problem um so then we meet professor capitalis probably should look that one up frankly this is uh, she is a normal professor at a university she's a history professor right was she linguist no she's history ancient history specifically and um wonder woman winds up happening upon her uh falling off of a ladder and rescues her and starts trying to talk to her in ancient greek which you think with all these gods one of them would be able to have just like magically taught diana english but no she has to be speaking ancient greek for like half of this first story arc yeah again the whole diana to man's world thing where a lot of it is like meant to add moments of levity of everyone either not understanding her or even the greek professors like sort of half understanding her but also it's ancient greek so even if they know greek they're still kind of half fucked well presumably it's also ancient greek but distorted by being on femisera for so long and spoken there so even then like linguistically that linguistically that would have drifted pretty significantly but in like different ways an actual greek would have yeah there's that and then there's just everyone remarking nice costume yeah um she's i guess she's lucky that she looks like a superhero imagine if this armor wasn't in primary colors this armor that it will also be noted i think it might be a different amazon and not necessarily diana but at one point someone makes the connection between like her holy garbs clothes and the american flag and the visual similarity that's because originally wonder woman came from Themyscira in the golden age to fight the nazis and thus was teaming up with the american army and so she was like a patriotic hero like captain america or whatever back in the day um but that aspect of the character is um always dropped although i it, the more you write wonder woman punching nazis the more i will enjoy wonder woman so please keep the punching nazis thing in um, but yeah, the like s- stars on the pants and stuff is something I think that you could probably drop. But this has it, and it's noticed as like a sign that she's supposed to be like able to ally with Trevor later. Yeah, essentially she becomes friends with this professor, who's going to help Wonder Woman figure out how exactly to go about her trial of saving the world from Ares. You know, there's a mysterious amulet and all of this stuff and they're like teaching each other greek and english and just like prolonged wonder woman trying to figure out what to do meanwhile aries is undeterred steve trevor wakes up in the hospital where more demonically influenced military people are trying to murder him he escapes is a wanted fugitive essentially the narrative that the military creates is that he has murdered all these people and he is a wall yada 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 and in the midst of all of this diana is fighting a woman who is essentially the daughter of the gorgon and is essentially this like 
chaotic embodiment of decay and rot who basically just blows up the nice professor's house and Diana has to save her new friends in man's world from this weird magenta decay monster. Um, oh, wait, well, before that, we've got my favorite bit. So, um, at least my favorite part of this issue, which is when the professor's daughter comes home and meets Diana and is, like, immediately like, oh, wow. And then she doesn't want her boyfriend to come over because the last thing I want is for my boyfriend to meet a fox like her. Um, which... Okay, um, Len or Perez, uh, Len or Greg, that's that's a weird line. Um, but this girl luckily uh, almost gets aged to death immediately by decay two pages later. Luckily, yeah, yeah. Children are annoying. Okay, but yeah, just decay is. I think you like decay more than I do. It's sort of the issue I had with the other. The children of Ares where I like the big red eyes and the purple and she's very declarative like Decay would not look out of place in the Claremont X-Men run yeah I guess I just wish it went a little further which I don't know maybe some people if they actually have read these and are listening will think that I'm crazy because it's not like this is a subtle design this is a very over-the-top design I think I don't think it represents Decay well enough like yeah. it's a, it's an evil it's an evil goblin lady design. Um like the head is very like green goblin just like weird purple. I feel like a decay would be more of an actual skeleton rather than just like a a very 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 thin lady. Yeah, or like even if like not even necessarily full skeleton, but if there was skin that was like falling or missing in parts to like show bone underneath in places you know like just sort of like a level sort of representation of decay which but it's a cool fucking power yeah yeah i think i also just wish that potential wise that she wasn't necessarily defeated within an issue and a half is my other thing is that these issues are very dense but while, like, the opening origin story has extra page count to fit everything in, the rest of the story is back to more sort of standard page lengths. And I don't think rushed is even necessarily the right word here, because there is a shitload of content here, and I don't think the whole thing is rushed overall. Like, I think most of the pacing is fine. I just think some of the characters like Decay could have been... I guess just sort of redistribute what you're doing a little bit to sort of maximize on them more. But long story short, Diana beats Decay. The world is watching. There's a bunch of news coverage of it. And the journalists are searching for a name of what to call her. They see the W-like insignia on her top and decide that they're going to call her Wonder Woman. And so the journalist world is the one that gives Diana the name Wonder Woman. Specifically because um, Superman has an S. Yeah. Um, so, like, this is that's like the first bit of actual crossover with the DC Universe we get. There isn't really anything else that does that for the rest of this story, but, like, almost immediately after this story, we start getting more of that. Um, this version of Wonder Woman's a little weird in that, like, she debuts in like the present day quotations of the dc universe um like the justice league already exists 
before Wonder Woman in this. If I remember correctly, in post-crisis continuity, it was Black Canary who was the first female member of the Justice League in, like, the original Seven. Yeah. They, like, because they shrunk it from Seven to Five because Wonder Woman wasn't there, which feels inappropriate, but also specifically they retconned it so that none of the Trinity were there because Superman and Batman were also absent. So, like, JLA Year One is like Hal and Barry and Aquaman and just like it's not that they're actually second string characters but when you take away Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman suddenly they feel like second string characters so it was always just kind of weird to me. I don't know in my opinion Hal Jordan's a second string character but okay. (laughs) Who's the A string for you? Is it Guy, John, or Kyle? Oh it's John. John's the one everyone knows. John should be the main one. It's weird that Hal keeps sticking around as the main one. Everyone wants, likes John from the cartoon. That's nostalgia for you with the people who grew up reading Hal Jordan coming just in time to bring him back and bring their childhood back of her character's development be damned. Ugh. Same issue with Wally West. I care more about it with Wally because I care more about Wally. But just fanboys fucking up their own medium. But... We don't need to have a long rant about lineage heroes. But essentially, after Wonder Woman beats Decay, she meets back up with Trevor. They all sort of form just this larger group with her and her professor friend, Trevor Etta? Yeah, his aide, Etta Candy, who um, for this chunk of the run is just kind of there. She's she's cool. She she picks up a gun later and... and, and... She shoots and kills someone while they're, like, fighting Ares's dudes. And, um, oh, and then there's Michaels, who is basically, what if Steve Trevor, but he's the one who's gonna have to die to make the end sad. Yeah, just other military man friend. And honestly, long story short, this little team of friends is going around, trying to figure out what's happening what the Ares project is because Ares has infiltrated the military and has them enacting his wishes for a plan that is just not subtly called the Ares project so just so we really know although it is perfectly in keeping that this just evil freak would name everything after himself see Ares project makes me think of uh, the, the NASA thing because I think their, like, plan to reach Mars that they wound up not doing was called the Ares Project. It makes sense, because Mars and Ares are the same thing. Issue 5 opens with all of the gods having given the fuck up, basically. Like, they, they're all just like, well, I uh, guess we're gonna have to get on fucking Charon's um, big boat for dead gods. I think it's Charon. They say ferryman. I think it's... Yeah, it's him. Yeah, it's him. The boat is gorgeous, by the way. This wonderful, like, ribcage boat is the best way I can think of describing it. I like Charon here, both, like, here and then he appears, I think, in issue one earlier in the run, where I like every time that Perez is rendering him and the river sticks, where he's constantly just using negative space in a really nice way, and, like, defining the water by what it brushes up against border-wise... It always looks very cool. 
Like you said, the boat is nice and bony. It's all very dramatic. It's George Perez doing what he does best, which is throw down a shitload of lines on the page and make it look cool. Which, that's something about Perez as a penciler is he possesses the ability to put a shitload of line work on the page and never have it look too busy. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's never too much going on. It's always in the right places. Um, yeah, he was really good at drawing the eye. Yeah, I mean, there's not much more to be said of it. It looks really fucking cool. Yeah. You mentioned how the gods had just given up, which I think my main question here... I, I haven't read beyond this, so I don't know if future issues will sort of explain. But I am very much like... Why did Zeus, like, not just everyone, but why did literally Zeus and everyone just give up? Like, why have all the gods just said, yeah, we we have nothing we can do. It's just gonna be Ares. Well, mostly given up because the goddesses who had given Diana her power in the first place keep stalling and being like, okay, wait up, we don't want to go on the boat yet, we have to believe in Diana, we just have to keep believing... And it's sort of a tension back and forth of them keeping being like, can she do it? Can she do it? As the reader is like, can she do it? Can she do it? Which obviously she ultimately can. Well, the goddesses and feminist ally Hermes. Yes. Is feminist ally Hermes, is this fag Hermes? Is no, question? He's, in, he's into Wonder Woman. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a thing for Wonder Woman. So, so unfortunately, no. Does, um, is it like, does he have a thing for Wonder Woman? Or is it like Bobby Drake going after Polaris? No, he has a thing for Wonder Woman. That's unfortunate. It's deeply unfortunate. Especially since, like, okay. Well, so, he helped birth her, too. It, it, that's it's really, really unfortunate. It's really weird. Luckily, that's not in this bit, so I don't have to think about it. But it's weird, and I don't like it. So, feminist ally slash creep Hermes. <laughs> While he and the rest of the godly women are hanging out by the boat. Essentially what happens is, long story short, Wonder Woman takes information that her professor friend has helped her realize about the patterns and the mysterious amulet, sees how it corresponds to a military strategy map for Project Ares. Somehow all this shit overlaps. Long story short, she leads her band of humans along with her on her trip to try and stop Ares, which basically results in them all going into the pits of Hades and hell and all the humans just trying to stay alive while she's trying to beat down the children of the gods. Uh, yeah, like, she realizes this info and then, like, magically uses the amulet on, like, a mirror because the other half of it is its mirror image. So, like, a magic thing happens and all of a sudden they're in weird fucking hellscape with uh deimos and phobos and there's a big fight there's a lot of snakes there's um you know some cool snake beard stuff all of the the humans are basically just like well fuck shoot the snakes phobos gets in on the action and makes everyone's like worst fears which edda's worst fear is being buried alive steve trevor hates spiders the professor is terrified of drowning, and then uh, Michaels, the other soldier guy, um, the red shirt of the team, uh, hates cats. So they solve this problem by um, having them trade off 
who's fighting the giant cat or the giant spider so they aren't too scared to kick their asses, I guess. And then the the two the two human women both have to be rescued because being drowned and being buried alive are not fears that you can punch in the face. Did Perez just feel like drawing a cat? I because think so. these are very primal fears and then cats. Which like it's the not the fear of cats. That's what it says. There's an ancient fear of cats. Clearly, this is some classical Greek shit that maybe I don't know. I, I should probably not. Like I'm like maybe maybe it is a mythological thing that we just don't know or something. Like mm. maybe there's you know some loose. The mummy was story. afraid of cats in 1999's The Mummy, starring Arnold Vosloo and Brendan Fraser. Okay, <laughs> great movie. Anyway. <laughs> But yeah, ultimately Diana punches a cat in the face so to the point that its teeth chip and are falling apart. To be clear, this is a giant demonic cat that's like a fear thing. It's weird. So Phobos can bring out what frightens you most and just makes it real. Like, it's not an illusion. Like, these people are actually drowning, being buried alive, or like having to fight a giant cat or giant spider. That is an incredible power, and he is so fucking useless he doesn't manage to win with this. Yeah, like you said earlier, I think you could do a take on this character that is more impressive. But in this case, he's just here to be a crony and get his ass beat, which is exactly what happens. And meanwhile, his brother, in the tradition of Golden Age, tying Wonder Woman up at every opportunity... George Perez is going back to the roots of the character and tying Wonder Woman up, except this time, (laughs) yes, in the snake beard. And so the cover to this issue is just Diana being bound by all of these snakes. Now, fortunately, it's actually not really weird and sexual and creepy. Like, I read this and I'm capable of not thinking about the creators having a weird kink for either bondage or snakes or bondage with snakes. But basically my point is I can think of many a male penciler in the business who I think would have drawn this scene in a much worse way. So I guess is it a testament to restraint restraint or just good taste that Perez does not make this super fucking weird? Yeah, like, we've made fun of a couple weird moments here, but, like, seriously, for something done in, even in the mid-80s, covering this material, it's really impressive. This is, I hadn't even thought to mention it before this point, but this is one of the least sexualized Wonder Woman portrayals I have ever seen. And, you know, and it's not, like, a matter of her costume being different or something, you know, like, still has a ton of skin out. It's the basic classic costume. It is the iconic visual. But just the way that Perez presents her and angles panels. There's never an awkward side boob. Like, we're never looking up at her ass as she flies in just a certain way. Like, Wonder Woman reads as a character here? Yeah, and visually in, like, fights and stuff, she's she's portrayed as powerful rather than, like, in a, in a sexual way. Which is good, because that's the whole point. Because, like, in, in this version, um, Aphrodite is all about, like, regular love. Unlike in the original mythology, where Aphrodite is the fucking worst. 
she is the most changed characterization-wise. There's bits in this where she's, like, crying because her, like, children with her ex-husband Ares, because, yeah, these are her kids, are, like, the villains, and it's just like, wow, no, Aphrodite in the mythology's awful. Yeah. Essentially, the snake bondage is ended by Diana taking off her tiara, throwing it, and it slices through the snakes and ultimately reaches the head... And she literally beheads this bitch in what is a very nice mythic moment of just not only victory, but victory by beheading. That feels very appropriate for the sort of god violence that we're seeing. And like with the snake beard and everything, like the actual beheading is like done in shadow. And it's like almost kind of like a very Medusa image of like slaying the Gorgon. Although not with literal Medusa, but it is just... It's cool. I like it. I'm trying to remember when Medusa shows up. She must do at some point. It'd be really weird if she didn't, especially considering how, like, focused this is on mythology. Yeah, I mean, I guess for a DC hero, this is really unusual. But, like, unlike Batman, who is insane in a way in which he doesn't want to kill people, and Superman, who, generally speaking, doesn't kill people because he doesn't fucking have to because he's Superman, Wonder Woman is... She doesn't want to kill this guy. He's gotten plenty of chances. There's no other way out of the situation other than, like, getting rid of the snake beard. Which means getting rid of the head the snake beards are attached to. So she does it. And, like, so she's decisive about it. But, like, regretful that she has to do it. Which I think is a good beat. Yeah, like, earlier on, I was kind of unsure of how the series is, like, politics of violence would ultimately be... Of just, like, the theme ongoing between, you know, what causes the rift between the Amazons being if they think it's appropriate to seek revenge or not. Which, you know, is its, like, own discussion and everything. And like I said, I sympathize fully with killing Heracles and every single one of his men. But I think it's good that they don't 100% do a turn the other cheek and there's always a way sort of moment, like... And also just in terms of it being such a mythologically rooted story, it just makes sense that it's grappling with all of this and that Diana's willing to go there if she has to in a way that, like, Batman and Superman don't. Like, this is a superhero comic, and she's dressed like a superhero, but this is so firmly rooted in the world building and all of the thematic concerns that issue one sets up that this very much feels like mythological figure comes to man's world more than it does standard superhuman and i think that's just sort of different tone i think helps this book stands out is part of why i like it yeah it's um the vast majority of it doesn't contain anything really resembling like a traditional superhero thing aside from person in colorful outfit fights bad guys but like this exact same story but Diana's wearing a different outfit and doesn't have a second name other than Princess Diana would just be a fantasy story. It would be, um, it'd be like Percy Jackson. <laughs> Essentially, you know, here's Greek gods in the modern world and interacting, interacting with it, and here's, you know, this... And this, luckily, not literally a child of the gods, but essentially a child of the gods having to fight some of the bad ones. Phobos just, uh, obviously, God of Fear, chickens out, and runs the fuck away after his brother's been deheaded. Good riddance, frankly. 
he's embarrassingly bad at his job. Uh, so, like, gets the second half of the amulet, because, uh, Deimos had it this whole time, and they put it together, and they show up at the missile base that's been taken over by, um, Ares's, like, influenced soldiers. Like, these guys are now just openly worshipping Ares, and want to nuke the world, and there's, like, also a group at a Soviet base doing the same thing right now. Then through and it's it's very specific now from this point on that like Ares and like the kind of destruction he represents are very directly associated with nukes uh we see some magical energy come out from around a nuke and then sort of form and appear as Ares in full badass cloaked glory yeah and as we said earlier Ares looks great utterly detestable very well written example of just an utterly detestable evil character really perfectly embodies like his god aspect of like what he is the god of you know just like oh yes this is the god of war i believe this is like a mythological embodiment of the concept of human slaughter and essentially issue six is a lot of punching and fighting in the military bases as Ares is like possessing different soldiers trying to get the nukes going Diana and her human super friends are all trying to stop things obviously it's hard because most of them are humans and ultimately Steve Trevor's friend bites it and he is the sacrifice but the day is ultimately saved and it's largely in part due to the characters convincing Ares that this isn't what he actually wants because if he succeeds and the world gets nuked then he will find that he is now a lord with no world to rule over because if everyone is dead will he really be happy with no one to recognize him uh, well specifically this is done um so Wonder he like brings Wonder Woman into his realm which is just this sort of blank black space um, with, like, giant, even larger Ares sort of screaming and firing bolts of fire, whatever. Um, and Wonder Woman wraps him up in her lasso, which, you know, it's the lasso of truth, right? And it shows him, like, what happens when he gets his followers to nuke the world, all the other gods die, ultimate destruction, and then he's just sitting around on a dead planet and then just slowly crumbles into dust himself and no one even remembers him. Because back to just like the concept of gods existing by way of human belief in them, which Zeus like mentioned at the very beginning in issue one, where like all the gods were debating creating the Amazons, and Zeus was like very haughtily just like, mankind will never forget us. <laughs> which then of course then we see what happens when they do, and just the depiction of Ares falling apart is very nice and essentially leads Ares to being like a balance must be restored and he has the line there is a difference between destruction and oblivion and basically he promises that if mankind and Diana don't keep things right Ares will be forced to come back into the world and deal with things himself but that in the meantime he's going to be more of just an observer and less actively attacking man with his own fingers from this point which 
Why did I say his own fingers? But because he's pointing a lot, he 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 has the Darth Vader physicality where he just sort of stands grandly and then occasionally will just like point at you or something. Yeah, but essentially ends of that. There's just a lot of nice art here of just like the crackle in the hell dimension and everything just always looks very nice and the colors of the hellish reds against the blues of the armor it's all just composed to all look like a very nice finished project and before we wrap up today i also want to visually mention when perez is drawing like the possessed men like the military men these are some zombie bitches that are like melting and falling apart and on fire it's very horror, like like if you took a 1950s military pulp comic and a 1950s horror monster pulp comic and took the zombie mishmash of the two, this is what these men look like as they're falling apart on the page. It's so great. Um, basically, between them, uh, Diana and her five human allies, including just one, like, professor of history managed to kill this entire base worth of military dudes who are like worshipping Ares so they all just get brought back demonically possessed and like real fucked up looking um so then the end of the issue Wonder Woman has like come back from Ares's realm having you know made him feel sad stuff and cry and the end of the world has been averted because Ares has de-demonically possessed them and also like destroyed his followers in Russia as well, so the Russians don't launch any nukes. And Diana comes back sort of unconscious, and Steve carries her out, and that's that's the end of the issue. The seventh issue, I guess, is technically part of this story, but it's it's mostly just Diana gets healed by the gods. Like you read it, she gets healed by Poseidon. Um, and then there's a bit of setup for, like, the following Cheetah story, which, eh. Yeah, like, this is the very sort of old-school trades aren't a thing yet so arcs aren't as like neatly divisible by per six issues yet so this was just sort of the neatest stopping point that we could find in terms of okay the story is mostly over at this point because like you said it's just diana's out cold she's gonna get better and then she's gonna move on to the next thing but this like wraps up the initial story with aries and her initial trip into man's world and getting her little posse of human friends which overall i like these issues i think the start is the strongest part for me because like i said the mythological world building and stuff i'm more into than the actual diana in man's world but i still appreciate like some of the action and just aries stuff in the latter half of what we talked about and like when i say i was less into this is still better than the average comic. It is George Perez. I'm just grading on a scale of George Perez, which is a high <laughs> standard. Um, I really love that she wins by, like, just convincing Ares that he's wrong. The interesting thing, one of the interesting things for me about Wonder Woman is, like, the number of contradictions about the character. Like, she's she describes herself as a warrior who fights for peace, which... Like, the oxymoron of that, I think, is where, like, the most interesting material lies. And it's nice to see her to get a win like this, where, um, there's a whole military base worth of dead dudes, but they were kind of dead already? Kind of, I think? Because Ares kind of kills them with the demonic possession stuff. 
it very much is giving like once he's taken you over you're not going to have a life after that like he's burning you alive and using you yeah um but like you know, normally I, for example in the movie when she confronts Ares at the end of the movie she doesn't convince him that she's right about anything um like she doesn't win a battle of ideologies even though wonder woman is a character who is supposed to be spreading an ideology that's the whole premise that's what she does in these the whole idea is she's spreading the idea of peace and fellowship and women's rights in most other versions she just fights zeus uh, fights Ares and wins um in the movie because she realizes that she's zeus's kid which is why that third act is the worst thing about that film um but in this i think it works i like that it's she wins by being smart yeah it all just feels appropriate to the character and to just the thematic concerns that were raised in the opening issues of just what is the moral way to go about battle and i don't think the series like at least like in these issues i don't think it's doing a sort of neat bow wrapped on top of anything i don't think it tries to give a sense of overly simplistic moral endpoints and just like well she did it here so see this is the moral of the day and this will always apply like i think it respects the reader's intelligence more than that but it still just feels in continuity with the conversation the work is having with itself i suppose yeah it's it's all really well done and i really like it um and people should read the current Wonder Woman stuff. Um, I actually haven't read the, the Wonder Woman book right now that's happening, but Nubia was really great, and everyone should read that. And it follows up on the Well of Souls. Um, essentially, in Nubia, it opens up again, and you get new Amazons coming out of it, which I think is a great idea in like creating new Amazon characters without having to have them, um, for example, kidnap men and use them to make babies and then either killing or sending away the male ones that they have new 52 yeah yeah we don't need that <laughs> yeah um i vastly prefer the idea of just hey here the, the well of souls has just spat out a couple more amazons for us um that's great and yeah i i really enjoy these it's yeah. a good run i'm glad to have read these uh, maybe someday I'll read some more of this run. I am interested. Um, Perez's art is great as always. I don't know. I never feel like I have an adequate sense on just like how to address like, you know, the passing of people in general, but especially people that, you know, that I don't actually know. But rest in peace, George Perez, obviously a titan of the industry of the art form. This will not be the last time that we discuss Perez on the podcast because there is a lifetime of great work that we will get to over time and I look forward to doing. Yeah, absolute legend. And uh, I mean, these issues are clearly a labor of love just looking at the sheer amount of effort put into the pencils. Like, I think it stands out even among other work that Perez did in terms of just how much detail and thought is put into the way like the pencils and the layouts and everything yeah if you look up a single thing from this run or this episode google image search the cover for issue one and make sure you're looking at the full spread that includes the back cover as well because it's a full 
spread design across both and just look at the amount of detail and just look at everything going on. Um, I've got an issue from later in this run from, um, like, I think the, like, the big story right after the Cheetah story, um, and it's a triple gatefold cover, and it's this huge, insane spread of, like, Wonder Woman and a special armor design, and there's, like, a wall made of screaming faces, you know, it's, it's just really cool, it's so good looking. Yeah, yeah, it's, this run is just great visually. Do you have any... I suppose any last uh, thing you want to add in about uh, these issues today before we do our little wrap up into the what to read next week? Um, no, no, I think we covered just about everything that I wanted to get through. Okay, with that, then uh, we'll go ahead and give you your homework assignment. Next week is going to kick off our first theme month for all of June. We are going to be getting just some of our general X-Men obsession out of the way and just indulging ourselves and discussing nothing but X-Men for a month so we can then go back to doing a bit more of a variety like we've been doing. But we're both primarily X-Men fans and there's a lot of X-Men to talk about, so we're going to do that. And we're going to be covering a bunch of different eras and we're essentially going to be going chronologically so next week, we are going to be discussing 60s-era X-Men, specifically X-Men number 60 and 61 from 1969. This is the two-part story that is the debut and origin of Sauron, or Sauron, the pterodactyl man who named himself after the Tolkien character. So he says Sauron, and then everyone else is like, no, you're a pterosaur, it's Sauron. But he knows... He knows. If you have at all ever followed a comic book Twitter and have seen the panel with someone, I think Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man, yeah. Going, with this power, you could cure cancer. And then the pterodactyl man going, I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. (laughs) That's Sauron. That is who we will be talking about in a pair of issues illustrated by the also recently deceased and industry legend Neil Adams in the period of late 60s X-Men where 60s X-Men was suddenly good because it was not before he came on. Because it was drawn by Neil Adams. Yeah. That's, That's all you need, really. Yeah. Neil Adams came on. It became good. So yeah, that's just two issues we'll be discussing next time. It's on Marvel Unlimited. They've been reprinted also in Essential Volumes and various places since. Most of you aren't going to be lucky enough to be pulling out your Silver Age actual copies of them, but they're pretty much reprinted everywhere. That'll do us for next week. Yeah, that'll do us all for this week, rather. So thank you for listening, and bye. Bye.